Well, turn in your Bibles this morning, just real quick. Just a few things I wanted to just share with you. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. Thank you guys. That was, I mean, it's good every morning, but it was just, it's really just special sometimes when you got smaller credit. Everybody's out of town this weekend and graduates. How many people graduated? I know Grace graduated. One. Everybody else has gone out of town. <clears throat> We're going to honor the graduates in a few weeks when we can get everybody here together at the same time. But Ephesians chapter 3, so uh, I've been meditating and praying about some things and, and uh, about this whole transition that we're walking through as a church. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, the enemy comes at you and tries to discourage you. The enemy tries to come. He tries. Sometimes he's successful. He comes and he tries to plant thoughts in your mind. And, and so I've been thinking, okay, what's this going to look like? Where are we going to go? How are we going to function? And uh, the enemy comes at all of us. I'm no one. He comes at me. If He comes at me just as much, if not sometimes more, because he knows if you strike the shepherd, what happens to the sheep? They scatter. And so there's a lot of things that we're trying to process, a lot of things we're trying to pray. But you know, the things in the spirit don't always make sense in the natural. It doesn't make sense for a man who's got property, lots and lots of property, lots of hired workers, lots of uh, cattle, lots of resources, who's established and in a place. It makes no sense for him to pack up his family and his possessions, and everybody goes, well, where are you going? And he goes, I don't know, but it ain't here. That's what happened to, that's what happened to uh, Abraham. The Lord told him to pack up everything he owned and go to a place that I will show you. So, we, but we don't, I don't know about you, but for me, I like to know. Now, I'm learning, I have learned to be confident and be at peace and be at rest with not knowing but I like to know. If you ask me, would you rather know or not know, I'm wanting to know. But Abraham didn't know. And so the Lord called him out onto that deep water. He called him out and he had to be, he had to be brave. But he didn't know where he was going, so he packed up. It, did not, it didn't make sense. So just because the Lord asks you to do something, tells you to do something, doesn't mean it's going to make sense. Come on, am I the only one in here this morning? The Lord asks us to do a lot of things that don't make sense. It doesn't make sense in the natural to give, period. The human nature side of us in the natural world, it doesn't make sense to give. It doesn't make sense to do that. But in the spiritual realm, that's what the Lord is doing something to release in us the kingdom of God. It's not really that you're giving, you're sowing. I planted some seed, planting some seed. I'm trying to grow a yard instead of sod a yard we're trying to grow a yard and so I was scattering that seed a lot of seed well you know what happens if you water that seed and water that seed what's going to happen it's going to grow I'm not sitting there going man I wish I wasn't scattering this seed that's a lot of seed I, what, what could I do with this seed I could eat the seed wouldn't be that good but I could eat it but when you're sowing a seed you're going to reap a harvest so that one little seed's going to produce blades of grass all that's going to produce them. So the, the kingdom of God doesn't always make sense. 
Well, so the enemy's coming, the enemy's talking. And a lot of times we think that, that when the Lord's telling us to do something, when the Lord's calling us to do something, we think that a lot of times everything's just going to fall right into place and it's going to be smooth sailing and we're just going to walk through life on flowery beds of ease. Come on, are you grad? Well, graduate. I would say graduates, but graduate. Life is not always going to be fair. It's not always going to be right. It's not always going to be just. It's not always going to feel good. It's not always going to be right. But when the Lord tells you to do something, no matter what's going on, you've got to step out and to do what He's called you to do. And so I've been thinking about all these, thinking about all these things. <clears throat> and one of the things the Lord took me was, I know you're in Ephesians chapter 3, but go over to Matthew chapter 11 real quick. Just hold your finger there, Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. A lot of times we think that these things are just going to fall into place, but really the kingdom of God is about taking back ground that the enemy has stolen. No thief has a right to steal anything, but they do it anyway. They don't, they don't abide by the same law. They don't abide by the same principles. So if you and I will understand that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He doesn't have a right to do it. He doesn't have necessarily the permission to do it, but that's what he does. And the only thing that stops him, the only thing that prevents him from doing that is us walking in our authority and exercising our authority. Are you following me? So we're taking ground because the enemy wants us to be passive. He wants us to be outside. I, I was driving the other day and... Uh, and I passed by on the outskirts of Valdosta. I was, there's a road that goes around Valdosta called Perimeter Road. Well, it goes to Lake Park. And then you pick back up to the interstate and come back up. But it goes all the way from the north, all the way down to the south, down to Lake Park. And, um, and I was riding, and on the very outskirts of town, there's this big open field and a sign church, that there's a church coming soon. And I'm passing by, and I... And I thought to myself, I thought, that's a long way from being in town. The, the enemy won't, I'm not saying this about that church, I'm just using this as an example, okay? The enemy wants you to think that what you're doing is, doesn't matter. If he can't stop you from doing something, then he'll come and he'll tell you that it doesn't matter. Your gift doesn't matter. If he can't stop you from exercising your gift, then he'll say, okay, but your gift doesn't. Okay, I know you got a call to preach, but what you called to preach really doesn't matter. And he'll make you feel inferior, and he'll make you feel like you're worthless because he'll play a video reel of all the stuff you've done in your life. And what, what, how do we handle, how do we walk through that? Well, Matthew chapter 11 Verse 12 says this. says, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, that the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. I read this commentary, and I wrote this down. I like this. It says, Though the Greek here is somewhat difficult to translate, the idea in this verse is that the kingdom of heaven, which Jesus set up as a powerful movement or reign among men, suffers violence. It requires of them an equally strong and radical reaction. The violent men who take it by force are people 
of keen enthusiasm and commitment who are willing to respond and propagate with radical abandonment to the message and dynamic of God's reign. We are to respond to that violent stealing, killing, and destroying with the same measure of violence with the full backing of heaven's authority with us, we are to respond to that in kind, furthering the kingdom of God. We're here to establish the kingdom of God. And the enemy's got Christians thinking all day long that what they do doesn't matter. Every one of you in here, I guarantee you, sitting right here right now, he's told you what you do doesn't matter. Pouring coffee doesn't matter. We grilled hot dogs the other day and hamburgers out at the park Thursday. And we had a really good turnout. A lot of people came. We got to love on people. The enemy will show up and go, What's your, this don't matter. What's this doing? Am I the only one? The enemy will lie to you and tell you that it doesn't matter. But it does matter. Because the little boy who showed up with his five loaves and three fishes, he didn't think he mattered anyway. And the disciples didn't think that what he had to offer mattered. But Jesus will take what you think doesn't matter and will multiply it and make it matter. And make it meet the need. And so he's lying to you, telling, well, you're retired. You're older. Nobody listened to you the first part of your life. What makes you think they'll listen to you now? Or he'll say, you're too young. You're too inexperienced. No one wants to hear from somebody who doesn't have experience. Or maybe you do have experience. Or maybe you have walked with God for a little while, but he shows up and he says, you don't matter. You've got a little bit of experience, but you don't have enough. The enemy's always got an excuse. He's always got a reason why you don't matter. And the kingdom of God suffers violence, so it's real easy for us to just back off from that violence because, the, because he's made it so convenient and so easy for us. I was thinking that when Constantine began to establish his reign and he wanted to get control over the churches, one of his methods was he presented them with a lot of money, a lot of land, and the opportunity to build buildings on the outskirts of town. He said, listen, I want to I, I help you. Why don't we you know that 100 acres on the outskirts of town, I'll just give you that land and we'll build you the biggest, baddest, most luxurious cathedral you can ever think of if you'll just move out of the city and move out to the outskirts of town. And he's made it real easy for us. Well, just come, okay, you're coming to church on Sunday, but that's fine. What you're really getting is for you. It's good. You want to feel good. We want to worship and feel good and then we want to go. And he wants you to think that what you're getting is not for anything else. But he's a liar. Turn to your neighbor and say he's a liar. Come on, you can do better than that. If his mouth's moving, what's he doing? But we can get into such a violent mode that we forget how, what we're being violent about. You ever notice how when Jesus walked the earth, it seemed like he walked with a little bit of a, he, not a little bit, it's like Jesus had swag. I almost wish I could see where we, we could walk with, because everywhere Jesus went, people flocked to him. They either hated him or they loved him. 
They did. The religious people hate him. You ever had somebody just be a hater? Haters are going to hate, right? I got a friend of mine who just preached a message a couple of Sundays about it, and I texted him. I said, hey, haters going to hate. Hashtag haters going to hate. You ever notice how people just hate? For what? Why do they hate? Because they're intimidated by it? They're jealous? Why does somebody hate somebody? Because you have something, have attained to something, or you're doing something that they don't have, they haven't attained to, or are not doing, and they're jealous. And so they hate. They hate. Well, the enemy hates us. He hates everything we stand for. He despises us because the very thing that he wanted, we have. He wanted to be like God. He said, I will be like God. And he, because of that pride, because of that, he was smite down into the othermost parts of the earth. But then Jesus made us like him. God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. And then he breathed into us his very essence. And so the enemy hates us. And so when we're endeavoring to be uh, aggressive towards the things of God, if he can't stop us from being violent, the kingdom of God suffers violence, and the violent take it by force, if he can't stop us from being violent, then he'll get us to think that our violence doesn't matter. And he'll put us on the outskirts of town and he'll, he'll, he'll turn our violence, listen to me, he'll turn our violence towards one another. And he'll turn our violence towards the world. So, you know, we're at the park, we're feeding people. Everybody's walking up of different cultures, backgrounds, and financial status. Some people smell good. Some people don't smell good. And so the enemy comes and he says, yeah, see, they're in sin. You don't need to mess with them. That's gross. That's disgusting. I asked the Lord this morning. I said, did, did, I, said I was like, did Jesus ever get mad? You ever get mad at somebody? Come, nobody's going to raise their hand. You ever get mad at somebody? Okay, so you get mad at somebody. And you're angry at somebody. And I asked the Lord, I said, did you, ever get, did you ever get angry with sinners? And I can't find where he ever got mad at sinners. Who did he get angry at or frustrated with at times? He got frustrated with the disciples. And he got angry at anybody who tried to put bondage on people, religious people. See, religion puts you into bondage. Jesus came to preach freedom. So the violent action that we are to, re, to respond to the enemy with, if we're not careful, we'll be violent in the wrong area and it'll be a distraction and we will have no impact for the kingdom of God, which is exactly what he wants us to do. We've got to be violent towards the right thing. My message is not about violence, I promise you. Romans 14, verse 17. We'll get to Ephesians in a little while. Romans 14, verse 17 says this, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So if this is the kingdom of God, if this is what we're supposed to be portraying, if this is what we're supposed to be establishing, if this is what we're supposed to be after, 
then the kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take us by force. What are we supposed to be taking by force? What are we supposed to be violent towards? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The enemy's after your right to not just see, it's not about your authority. If he can get you to believe that you don't have the right, how many of you know that righteousness is the rightness to stand before God as if sin never existed? If he can get you to think that you're not righteous, that you got to just do some things, and then, then maybe one day you'll be righteous, he, he has taken away your legal right, therefore your authority is meaningless. And so our violence now becomes twisted. Instead of being violently aggressive towards him in response to his, in response to his attacks towards our righteousness, we now respond with him towards other people and we attack them for not being righteous. And so he comes at us and he says, well, they're, they're messing up. And so we begin to think that our life, living our life in a right way makes us righteous. How many of you know that's the wrong door to pick? We are righteous because of what he did for us and does through us. So the kingdom of God, number one, is righteousness. We are righteous. I was riding with somebody the other day who has been now sober or been off pills, what they call sobriety. He's been sober for about three months now. And I said, I was riding along and he was, and he was talking with me and he said, you know, I just feel like, you know, I still feel like regret and remorse for all the things he's done. And, you know, I'm trying to get my life right. You ever heard that? Somebody say, quit trying. It don't work. You're trying to get, if you keep trying to get right, you're going to get left. Right? So he's trying, he's trying. And it's good intentions, great heart. I love it. But I said, let me tell you something. The Spirit of the Lord rose up in me and said, you have just as much of a right to stand before God today as you did 60 days ago when you were in the bottom of the pit. Because either the blood of Jesus paid for it or it didn't. So the violence that we should be aggressive, righteousness, we are righteous. So what does the righteousness of God produce? It produces peace. You come to me and say, you're not righteous. You don't have the ability to stand before God. And I laugh at you because I know, because in me, I know in and of myself I'm not. But because of what he's done, I am. And so I have peace. Somebody say peace. What is peace? Peace is the ability to sleep in the midst of a storm. That's peace. Peace is, yeah, you could take a nap. Peace is there's nothing going on on the inside, but there may be things going on on the outside. Peace is just rest. Peace is having that ability to look at a situation and take a deep breath and relax. Some, some of us are so... Busy all the time, doing, going, always got this stuff going on with us and weighing down on us. We don't even know what it means to relax. We, I don't even like taking a two or three day vacation. It takes me that long just to unhook. 
You know what I'm saying? So righteousness produces peace. What does peace produce? It produces joy in the Holy Spirit. So this violence now that we're attacking, that we're coming after, that we're going after this thing, if we're not careful, we'll get distracted. So I've been asking the leadership team, our leaders, myself, I've been asking, what are we pursuing? What are we violent towards? If we are kingdom people, how many of you are kingdom people? And we are to establish the kingdom of God. If we are apostolic, then what are we setting up? What are we establishing? Now, the word apostolic, which is all in the New Testament, apostles and apostolic, is an apostolic mindset. That word actually comes from the Greek culture. And in the Greek culture, when, when Rome, when the emperor was, was, uh, was uh, um, conquering cities, he would, once they conquered the city, he would send what they called an apostolic team to go into that city and to establish that city apostolically. And their role was to make the city look, feel, and operate just like Rome just like the kingdom, so that in the event, listen to me, so that in the event the emperor wanted to visit that city, he would feel right at home. So our responsibility is to go ye into all the world and establish his kingdom. We are to be apostolic. We are to establish that kingdom. Well, one of the ways that we do that, one of the things that we do when we're establishing is if we're not careful, we'll establish the wrong thing. Right? We'll establish the wrong thing. So we, these are the questions that I'm asking. So as we're transitioning from the, from the old, as we're walking through this process of what new covenant was and allowing that thing to die so that we can birth what it is the Lord's wanting to birth, I keep hearing the Lord saying, what are you going to produce? What are we going to produce? What do we want the city, what do we want the community to know of us? Now, Ephesians, go to Ephesians chapter 3 and then we'll go to, to a very familiar passage. Ephesians chapter 3 says this, verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Whether you did realize it or not, you do realize that the church is first and foremost a family. We're family. And family prays together. They fight together. <laughs> Families work together. Families move together. And so what, what the people are going to respond to, what they're going to see, is a how a family operates. And so in, that, in the spirit of that family mindset, we are a family. What are families supposed to demonstrate? John 3, verse 16. You don't even have to turn there because everybody knows it. John 3, 16 says, For God so what? Love the world. For God so loved the world that he gave. I think, I know for us, for me and for us, for this team, 
for this church and what we're going to be, what we're going to become is love. People respond to love. People are naturally wired to love and to respond to love. When Jesus was here, that's what Jesus demonstrated love. He was love. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and then the Word became flesh and dwelt among men. But First John says that for God is love. God is love, the epitome of love. There is no other kind of love. Every other kind of love flows out of the God kind of love. And the God kind of love looked at you and me, and in our present state of circumstances and situations, he looked at us and he said, I love you, and I'm going to give my greatest gift to you, whether you respond to it or not. And he gave us Jesus. And many have not responded to it, but he still died for them. What are people going to say about you? What are they going to say about us? What are they going to say about us? I'm going to ask you this question. What are you and I chasing after? Are we chasing after the wrong thing? Are we being violent towards the wrong thing? See, we think that an exercise of disagreement, okay, or... We think that if we talk harshly enough to the world about the way they're living, we're going to change the way they live. And that's not the truth. That's not done anything for us but push them further away. When Jesus was on the earth, people who were in the midst of sin flocked to him. Why? Because he did not produce condemnation and shame on them. That was the religious people. Do you want to be religious or do you want to be Jesus? Jesus promoted love. He was the epitome of love. And so for us, we, there's, there's something in me, there's something in us that I can't get away from, and it's love. He said all the commandments, Jesus said this, all the commandments is summed up into one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. See, if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, you won't have any other idols before him. If you love your neighbor as yourself, then you won't covet what your neighbor has. You won't kill your neighbor. You won't steal from your neighbor. If you have love, that see that love is the empowerment to abide and to live the freedom that we all have. But in the kingdom of God, and even now we have to be careful because we as churches and we as people will start looking at one another and saying, well, because you're not doing this, you're not doing it right. See, love will come alongside and will help somebody come out of their present situation without the feeling of shame or condemnation associated with it. Because I get that all the time. Love, grace and love. People have the hardest time with the grace message. Why? Because grace isn't, doesn't require anything from you. It gives to you out of a heart of love. People don't have any problem with for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But they have the biggest problem with you when you don't respond to that love. 
Now they want to give you condemnation and give you flack. Don't you know that God loves you? And so they make you feel inferior because you're not responding to the love. No wonder people don't want to get saved. I've been saying, I've been saying this and I've heard people say it. And I'm having to correct what it is I'm saying. People are tired of church as usual. I've said it. The reason why people don't come to church is because they're tired of church as usual. But I'm going to pose something to you. I I don't think that people are tired of church as usual. Because people that are tired... Okay, religious organizations, churches that are tired of church as usual, they'll do something out of the unusualness of church. So they'll be church that is not usual. But they end up producing the same thing. They may attract other Christians, but they're not necessarily attracting the lost. I don't think people are tired of church as usual. I think they're tired of what the church is producing. I think they're tired of what the church is promoting out there. People are looking for answers. They're looking for freedom. They're looking for someone. They're starving for someone to love on them. And what we've been producing up until the last few, really the last decade, what I've seen, what we're producing is a bondage mentality rather than a freedom mentality. I'm going to read this to you. It's probably a good place to close. Because I feel like we're just scratching the surface with this. Kind of getting into this. What are we going to produce? Because if we're not careful, we'll produce and we'll be violent and aggressive towards the wrong thing. And the wrong thing will produce the same results we've always been getting, which is nothing. Judgment, condemnation pushiness, then none of that is producing what we're wanting. None of that is producing the fruit for the kingdom of God. What is, what are we producing? What are we about? Are we about condemnation? Are we about trying to promote performance? Or are we about promoting what he performed? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I think we'll just read this and Close right on out. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm going to read this to you, and I want you to listen to me. Every time I read it, every time I read what love is, I want you to check on the inside and see if something happens on the inside. Because this this is really a test to whether or not we are really walking in love. Right? So let the holy listen, let, let the word of God do its work. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Listen, you may have the sweetest voice in the world. You may be able to articulate with such brevity that everybody in the room just 
is amazed at how you can talk. But if you have not love, what does he say you sound like? You know, symbols are great in music. But if Ryan was to walk up there and just start banging on that symbol, it would get annoying. I mean, real quick. Verse 2, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. Guys, we're nothing without love. The world sees right through it. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Everybody say nothing. You ever worked and got nothing? That's frustrating, right? Nobody wants to work and not receive anything. That's what he's saying. You can go to your job and work, and at the end of that job you leave and you don't get a paycheck, you'll be frustrated. Well, this is what he's talking about. If we're producing all these things, but we're not operating out of love, well, what is love? Love is what? Love is just loving people. I love you. We say that so haphazardly. I love my car. I love my job. No, you don't. You like it. You don't love it. Because here's what love is. You ready? Love suffers long. We can stop right there. We don't want to suffer long. We want, I mean, it's 152. I got eight minutes to get y'all out of here. Or elsewise, y'all going to start not walking in love towards me because it's lunchtime. Suffer long. Love suffers long. Let me read it to you in a different version because I, I printed it out just for that reason. <clears throat> it says, love is patient and love is kind. Love is not jealous, boastful, or proud, or rude. <laughs> it does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whether, whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Let me ask you this. Are you, what are you producing? What are you chasing after? What are we chasing after? I'm asking those same questions as the leader of this church. I'm asking, what are we chasing after? Are we chasing after the right things or are we chasing after the wrong things? Are we promoting the right things or are we promoting the wrong things? Why did we go to the park? You know how many people ask me that? Why are we going to the park? Why are we going to cook out? And I told everybody the same thing. I said, number one, the number one reason, not the number one reason, one of the reasons why we chose, why we went to the park is because it gets you and I out of these very comfortable seats right here. See, this is comfortable. My job, my responsibility, is to help you get out of this comfort zone. And this is a comfort zone. That's, number, that's one of the reasons. But you know what the other reason was? To be a demonstration to the community that we're about more than just preaching to them. That we're about loving them. 
And food is one of the easiest ways to demonstrate that. You just feed people. Because there's nothing in life, there's no such thing as a free lunch. Oh, yes, there is. It's called the kingdom of God. Everything that he has given us, he's freely given us. See, the world will respond to us. People, your brothers and sisters will respond to you when you walk in love. <clears throat> but we live such a self-centered, in such a self-centered mentality that everything's about me. You know, everything's not about you. That was one of the first lessons you have to grow up when you get, when you get out of school or even in school. When you get out of school, how many of you know that everything's not about what you want, what you like? Love, I'm going to read it one more time. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. Mm. Keeps no record of being wronged. Well, you know, you did this last week. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whether the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Well, I'm just done with that. I've said it. I'm done. Not love. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. For God so loved the world. Now here, I'm going to give this to you and then we're going to close. How many of you want to walk in a greater level of freedom in your life? How many of you want others to walk in a greater level of freedom in, your, in their life? So we know that God is love. <clears throat> we know that God is freedom. Because it says that how Acts 10, 38 says, How God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth, with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing all, who healing all who were doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. That's freedom. That's what Jesus did. He demonstrated that. Free, freedom, freedom, freedom. You want to walk in a greater level of freedom? Okay, so here's how you walk in that level of freedom. If we live and walk with the Spirit, and by the Spirit, and we walk in the Spirit, we will live a greater life of freedom. True or false? What is God? God is love. What is the Holy Spirit? He is actually the breath, the wind of God. So when the Holy Spirit shows up, He shows up with love. When you and I walk, and we make a choice to allow the love of God that's been shed abroad in our heart to live our life according to this. And we allow the love of God to help us suffer long. We allow the Holy Spirit. You know what? We want to walk in the Spirit. You don't have to be rude. The Holy Spirit helps you not to be rude. And when we walk and we live our lives in that love, what are we producing? Freedom. You want to see somebody walk in a level of, show me somebody who's free and I'll show you somebody who not only loves, who not only knows that God loves them, but they exercise and live their life out of that love. And they share that love with other people. 
Love suffers long. Love is patient. Love is kind. I like this one. I like what he said. Love suffers long and is kind. See, you can suffer long and not be kind. (laughs) The secret sometimes as a Christian, as a Christian, it's not always about doing something. It's about being something. People respond to that love. That's how they responded to Jesus. Come on, stand with me. They responded to Jesus according to that love. Not according to what he did, what he said, but what he did, what he demonstrated. We're we're transitioning from one thing to another. We're becoming something who God has called us and created us to be. And I'm challenging you and asking you, to, to examine what it is that we're producing. One of the most powerful things that Jesus ever said on the face of the earth that stands out to me almost as much as anything else was Jesus said this. He said, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. And he could have filled in the blank with anything He could have said the miracles that you perform, the faith that you walk in, the words that you declare, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit and the power of God. He could have said, by this all men will know that you are my disciples. Everywhere you walk, the earth will shake and people will tremble at the sound of my name. He said, by this all men will know that you are my disciple, that you have love one for another. One for another. It's easier to love people that you don't know. It's a little more challenging to love the people that you do know. Because you see their imperfections. You see their flaws. And it's real easy to be violent towards the wrong thing. I'm going to challenge you to be violent towards the right thing. When that thing rises up in you to bring correction or to bring that harsh word to somebody because of what you see in them, ask yourself, is this love? Am I walking in love? Because love will never, never bring shame and condemnation. Love will always bring freedom. That's what Jesus did. When Listen to me. Well, he's living wrong. He made the wrong choice. He wronged me. And Jesus stood up and he said at the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And they brought the woman to him and and she was caught in the act of adultery. And what did he say to her? After he said to the crowd, what did he say to her? He said, where are your accusers? And she said, there are none. He said, what? I don't either. I'm going to challenge you. Your family, your friends, your co-workers will push your buttons to no end. But if you, want, if you want to see them, if you want to walk in a greater level of freedom, and you want to see them walk in a greater level of freedom, I'm going to challenge you to go back to 1 Corinthians. What is love? Love suffers long. I know you've slapped me 457 times, but I'm going to love you anyway. I'm not going to necessarily put my face out there for you to slap it again, but I love you. How many times should we forgive? 
seven times 70. The number of perfection. Perfect, perfectly. We forgive them perfectly. But they've wronged me so many times. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. Come on, close your eyes. Father, in the name of Jesus, shake this religiousness out of us. This mentality and this thing that we've got to walk around and always be pointing fingers. Father, it's, it's the love, it's the goodness of God that will draw people in. Freedom from that this morning in the name. Let this be the first step in the walking out that freedom. That we have love one for another. Father, we ask you for that in the name of Jesus. Father, now as we go, I ask and declare that you prompt us when we are stepping outside of the boundaries of love. That when we're being rude or starting to be rude with somebody... You would quicken us and say, "Ah, right, don't be rude. Love is not rude. Father, when we feel like we've reached the end of our rope, there's some of that person, that individual that's he's on our last nerve. Well, we still got that last nerve. That we would suffer long. That we would bear with one another. We ask you for that. In the name of Jesus so that we can be a demonstration and manifest that to this world, to this community. In the name of Jesus. And everybody said? Amen, amen. amen. Well, listen, you go, be blessed, and don't forget to walk in love.